passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. As if they don't have too much on their plates. The Kings of Combat Sports Podcast, John and Wade. They'll talk about the things they did that day. They'll analyze the work of Vince and Triple H. You want to smack down. 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 Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind to SmackDown. I'm John Pollock, along with Wei Ting. How are you doing tonight, Wei? Doing pretty good. Yourself? I'm doing fantastic. One of the best nights of my life. <laughs> a bit of sarcasm there, I think, from John, who's been going through a lot of Skype issues, unfortunately. I'm just, I'm done. I'm at uh, I'm at my end. So <laughs> Skype, who Braun Strowman name dropped on Monday. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe they've jumped on to a, a dying technology. Maybe he's got a better laptop than yours. That probably does. Anyway, how was your day? It was fine. Yeah, it's not bad. We have a lot to discuss. I think that we have uh, lots of lots of news. Uh, we can start off in, in many different directions, but uh, I guess this is the story that everyone, every single person has a one-liner for. Uh, Chris Jericho filing a police report over a missing championship title that is believed to be the AEW championship. And I'm just going to read this from the, the police report that has been uh, circulating online. The victim reported the theft of his championship wrestling belt while he was eating inside Longhorn Steakhouse. The victim stated he arrived at the Millionaire Club airport terminal and placed the belt inside his rented limousine. The limo driver shuttled the victim to Longhorn for dinner. The victim remained at Longhorn while the limo driver returned to the airport. Are you keeping track of this way? I, I, I've read this many times. Uh, maybe you can help me make sense of it. All right, let's let's go by line by line. Okay, he arrived at the Millionaire Club Airport terminal. He yeah. placed the belt inside the rented limousine. So in theory, he is having dinner. This limo is outside with said championship. So far, it's, it's in the limo. It's in the limo. Yes, yeah. he is okay. at dinner. The limo driver then shuttled the victim to Longhorn for dinner. Okay. The victim remained at Longhorn while the limo driver returned to the airport. Okay, so now they're at different locations, as is the title belt. Why the would the limo driver return to the airport? That is a great question. I don't know why. Maybe he had multiple runs to do. Okay. The victim... With Jericho's gear in there. Um, perhaps with his gear. Definitely with the championship. Championship, right. Okay. The victim had taken the wrong luggage from the airport, and the driver took it back to the terminal. Okay, so maybe they got to the steakhouse, he realized he had the wrong luggage, and sent the driver to go recover his actual luggage? Okay. Okay. When that the would, driver fit. Yeah. When the driver picked up the victim from the restaurant, the belt was missing. Responding officers searched the limo and airport for the belt without success. 
on-call CID was consulted and forensics responded to the scene. Victim Christopher Jericho Irvin, white male, date of birth, November 9th, 1970. I don't know what happened here. There is a missing championship belt. This is one of the best stories, I think, in wrestling history. Uh, It's one of the weirder stories in wrestling history. I put the story out. No one believes it's true. Oh, yeah. Um, It's really hard to believe. Hard to believe that it's not an angle. And I'm sure at this point, there's still some people that that probably aren't sure whether or not this is all a work. It's a legitimate police report. Yeah, I, 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 I feel like we can safely assume that this was real. Um, because I don't think it makes anybody look very good. Um, that said though, I think it doesn't really hurt them because they managed to have fun with it. Uh, they're trying to have fun with it, but there's like some legitimate logistics here. Not the least of which is, you know, a championship belt is not something you can just uh, make a new one overnight. It does take some time and, they do have four weeks before TV, but I would imagine there's a ton of promotional stuff in the next month that it's a real pain in the ass that they don't have this very expensive championship belt that they just had commissioned. Brian Alvarez has said that they have a second one. So, Oh, do they? So okay. we well, shall well, see. That, yeah. Well, that would definitely come in handy and is probably a good lesson that you should always have. Uh, the. I mean, that's what the WWE does. They have the road belts and then they have the, the television, uh, the belts they use for, for television. And I guess in case it's amazing, actually, that we haven't heard more stories of these titles uh, being lost, given all of the travel and all of the different airports that these performers go through on a weekly basis. Uh, Absolutely. Now, with this second belt, though. I'm assuming Jericho is staying far and far, far away from it. Maybe they're going to say, you know what, Chris, we will come to you with the belt. And that is how (laughs) we are going to proceed over the next month. I, I will be curious if over the next 24 hours, this championship does not uh, turn up because this is probably going to circulate all over the place. And either this person will be so proud of themselves that they have this title. And we don't know if it was stolen or just simply lost. I mean, it's, uh, it just, it, they have stated here like it's unknown uh, what exactly the circumstances were behind this, but someone has this. Um, I feel like with this being a news story, maybe they will come forward with this title uh, or not. And this becomes quite the historical note of the legend of the very first AEW heavyweight championship that disappeared while the champion was at the Longhorn Steakhouse. It really is remarkable. Um, and I feel like... Man, if you're Chris Jericho, uh, you know what? What must have been going through your head when you realized the championship that I just won? Um, that is a, a part of this major organization that has many employees that are counting on me. Um, I've suddenly lost. Like, if it was anybody but Jericho, could you imagine if Hangman Page was the one to lose this? First of all, I don't think he would have lost it, but man, like, I don't know how long he'd be champion. Well, I mean, they they have gotten themselves into a situation where, given this was the the Longhorn Steakhouse, and the way being the elite ended, where the Young Bucks are coming up to Hangman and asking him to go for dinner, and he is kind of uh, just all kind of down on the loss and is not going to go to dinner with them. If we go being the elite and we see the, the Longhorn Steakhouse, and then in the back... There's Hangman Page who reveals the championship, and he just looks and says, now this is some real cowboy shit. 
Oh, they've they've all been having fun with it. I think um, uh, Paige tweeted like some reference to the fact that you know, um, whatever cowboys like the the bandana. That, anyway, some reference to insinuate that he might have done it. Like uh, Jericho, of course, tweeted out the video. Um, they of course they're gonna the, have fun with this the, and the, the do the best is, they can, but it, it's got to be embarrassing and also just really a pain in the ass that you have to deal with this. It's true. It's true. But I think it's salvageable for sure. And and if honestly, it's great press that, you know, I, I mean, on the one mm-hmm. hand, it shows that they are, man, uh, it makes a lot of people probably look at them as some type of, you know, secondary unprofessional operation, how, you know, WWE would never ever do this or allow this to happen. Uh, but I think if they manage to make an interesting, compelling angle coming out of it, mm-hmm. it might change people's minds. I, I think that this is a group that they are very good at taking stuff like this to uh, make the best out of it. So we'll see. We'll see what they do. It's kind of a silly story, but one that uh, it, it's hard to believe, but appears to be very true. Um, other AEW news: uh, We didn't have raw numbers coming out today because of uh, the Labor Day holiday, but we did get the number from Friday night for the AEW Countdown special that aired on TNT uh, going into All Out and. Friday night, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. They did 390,000 viewers on TNT. Hard to really break down this number of what it is, but I would say for Friday night, uh, for something that was not all that heavily promoted, uh, that's a that's a very good number for a one-off special that's not in any kind of a familiar time slot for, uh, for, for a brand new company. And to compare this, uh, last year, going into All In, when they did the zero hour pre-show, um, granted that was on WGN America, not the same scope as TNT, but also the lead-in for a pretty publicized show uh, that did 196,000 viewers. So the fact that we got 390,000 people on a Friday night at 10 o'clock, um, I think it's I, excellent. Like, I, I think that's a really positive sign that there was a lot of interest in this show, and that TNT, um, I, I would have to view that very favorably. Well, considering how, like, I, I think when initial reports came out um, and, and early estimates from people in the TV industry were put, pitting, like, uh, AEW's television show at a bowl at 500,000, the fact that something like this almost reached four, four, 400,000 without any promotion was not, uh, uh, you know, first-run type of, you know, in-ring programming, I think it really bodes well that, you know, at least that 500,000 figure will, will, to me, be probably greatly exceeded. Yeah, I'm really curious about how... All Out did on pay-per-view. We know that uh, Double or Nothing did about, between uh, streaming pay-per-view and traditional pay-per-view, did about 111,000 buys. I'm very curious if this uh, topped that, um, what the what the level of interest was for this particular show. And yeah, I would say 500,000. I'm pretty confident that that first show is going to uh, be significantly above 500,000 viewers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I take that uh, as a positive. Um you actually tweeted about this today. I wanted to discuss it with you. You had a chance to see the the Tomohiro Ishii Kenta match, and this has been very much discussed, the handling or lack thereof regarding Kenta's obvious injury. If you haven't seen the match, it appeared to be like he gets rocked from this German suplex and then takes a headbutt as well on top of it. And it's very obvious this guy has no business continuing this wrestling match. And I think it's something that, in the heat of the match, I think a lot of people were not really in tune with just how out of it this guy was. 
and yeah. kind of reflecting on the weekend, I mean, this this is really a, a bad scene on Saturday at Royal Quest. Yeah, I couldn't quite tell, like, specifically. I I thought it was just the head-on-head headbutt, which I, is appalling if, enough If you anyway, see after the, the German, but... when he gets up and he goes for this discus lariat and yeah. he's got nothing behind it, I feel right. it was the German that was the initial uh, blow. But then it's, like, right after the, the discus lariat fails that Ishii does the the skull-on-skull headbutt mm. that, to me, it's just absolutely insanity that that thing is allowed, that that is not banned at this point. It is yeah. just the stupidest thing, and, and I hate that spot. Certainly, like, you know, um, with 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 something like this, it, 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 it you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I don't think it should be, especially if you're in the role of... Uh, somebody who's an official there, whether or even Tomohiro Ishii, if you're somebody there who's recognizing that somebody is not at 100%, and I don't care what Kenta says, he was not 100%. He he looked far from it. I feel like there's... I don't know what steps like New Japan... We know what WWE does, but what steps has New Japan taken as far as protocol goes when something like this occurs? Uh, and I'm not confident that they have anything in place. It just seems to me like you've had a, a horrendous situation from Katsuyori Shibata and what is ultimately learned from those situations. And I think that it's something that the industry as a whole that we see in these, especially these big matches, it's we've got to get to the finish. You always finish the match. And I just, I don't care if an audience boos because the bell is rung uh, and they don't realize that someone is seriously hurt. I think anyone booing that will instantly regret that once they see that someone is seriously hurt. And I don't care if there is a a, a 10 minute upset audience as we move on to the next match and someone mm -hmm. is injured and we just preserve them so the, that they don't get further hurt. This audience wouldn't have cared one bit. I don't it's think like, so. I think they educated. really think so little of the audience that yeah. it's this sin to stop a match who cares? No. Like, this, I'm just, I'm so past that mentality. No, this very educated, like, you know, UK audience would not have minded one bit if they said this match has stopped due to a, an unforeseen incident. Um, but, you know, it's it's not, especially in this case, it's not so much just the fact that they managed to continue the match. It's the fact that they managed to continue a Tomohiro Ishii-style type of match for the next 10 minutes with more headbutts, more he heavy impacts to the upper neck and head area. Uh, stiff, stiff, stiff chops to the and to the face, slaps to the face. Like it made it all really hard to watch. And I imagine, you know, if I was watching this live, not realizing it, it would probably would have probably just been another match, uh, another match that maybe looked a little bit odd. But I think knowing and and looking for the specific spot and recognizing where Kenta was actually uh, probably very likely concussed, and seeing everything that came afterwards including his stumble as he's trying to get on the second turnbuckle, lifting that belt and slipping. Like, this was really tough to watch. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's the the initial shot is always, you know, it's bad, but it's the secondary blows to the head that can be the most serious as well. So it's, it, it's having a, an update and an upgrade in the mentality and having these 
referees in a position because you cannot allow the performers to police themselves. In those situations, it's always going to be to grit your teeth and get through it. You have to take that power away from them and place it. Someone else has to be the bad guy, whether that is a physician at ringside, whether it is the referee who needs to be trained to be ready for these situations. I mean, that we saw with the incident with Silver King earlier this year where he died, and it was clear that this referee was not in a position that he was qualified to handle that that severe issue that was occurring right in front of him. And that was a just horrific scene to watch happen. And well, I mean, I think in in, in wrestling, though, it's almost I, I certainly I, I it's the referee, but it's also just company policy. Like what is New Japan's policy when it comes to this? Do they allow the referee to make that decision or do they not? Or is it somebody else's choice? Is it the performer's choice first? Um I just I have you know between this and like I it's it's sort of a double edged sword because like part of the reason why we love New Japan is because they give their wrestlers so much freedom to do anything that they want but at the same time like we get things like this we get things like Naito versus Ibushi where um I think too much freedom can sometimes be a bad thing. Um. Speaking of Kenta, he is not booked on any of the Road to Destruction shows until the Destruction in Beppu card, which is on September the 15th. So he's tentatively scheduled then, but nothing uh, for the next uh, week and a half as well. So I'm glad he's not getting rushed in there. And he did go to the hospital after this match. He just tweeted out that I am totally fine. Mm. So that was the up. That was the I mean, update from Kenta, and, and hopefully he is okay. I'm glad that he's not getting raced back into uh, these tags for the, the Road 2 shows, and he has some time. And if he's not ready, doesn't need to be on that, that Beppu show either. No, no reason. I mean, I certainly feel like, you know, if you're Kenta, you, like, it's it's kind of shitty because, like, this is the gimmick that he's he's trying to reclaim for himself, the tough guy, the guy who kind of, you know, I have no doubt, like, many of those G1 matches, he's had to gut through uh, plenty of performances maybe where he's even you know had had he's been hurt more than this it's just kind of like what what the style demands of it and really what the audience demands of it but man like in a case like this where it was that obvious i don't think anybody really enjoyed it knowing that you know he he might have been actually really hurt uh a few roh deals um last week it was reported by mike johnson that uh ROH champion Matt Taven's contract is up this month. Uh, and then today, uh, Justin Barrasso of SI.com reporting that Marty Skrull's deal will be up in November, which is really interesting because all year we have looked at Marty Skrull and they've kind of been half in, like one foot in, one foot out on Marty Skrull. And the speculation has been, well, do they do they have full confidence that if they go all the way with this guy, that he isn't ultimately just going to up and leave when his deal's up? And... We've had Matt Taven as champion since that G1 Supercard in April. His deal is up this month. So uh, if if the sides cannot come together, um, you have just a couple of shows left this month that you can drop that title. Obviously, there's the pay-per-view. There's their way out. And to be quite honest, I I would be staying if I was Matt Taven at this point. But Marty Skrull is certainly an interesting one and one where I am sure he's going to field offers and could be someone uh, coveted by multiple promotions. Oh, no, no doubt. Yeah. Um, you know, just, just like purely speculating. I, man, I feel like Matt Taven, even over the course of this year being ROH champion, really has just like, he's kind of been, um, I don't know, like 
much of the the criticism people are are throwing at ROH is because of somebody like Matt Taven being on top, and therefore I don't see a great deal of buzz coming out, and I don't see many suitors, to be quite honest with you. I don't really see NXT or Triple H wanting him. I don't see AEW wanting him. Um, Marty Scroll, I could see I could see WWE wanting him. I think they want everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Does I it hurt ROH to not have Matt Taven though? I I I don't. Re- I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure it hurts them. I I think Matt Taven is a guy that that does have talent. I think he's in a role that is. He is not the guy I would have as champion right now. I think there's certainly a role for a Matt Taven. But now, where it's a very critical time for ROH to be saying that, you know, just because we have lost all these guys, we have plenty of other options. Um, he, he would not be the guy that I would be going with as champion at the moment. And the company's lost a lot of steam this year. A lot of steam. So these are going to be two interesting contracts to watch and see uh, what happens there. And with Skrull, it's just... It's just been a very odd year. Like he's paired with Villain Enterprises. It's not like they're not pushing him, but it's like we haven't. This could have been his year. He could have been the guy that did stick around. And whether he's staying or going, we're we've got this guy until November. So let's maximize the value. I don't think he's been maximized this year. And is that going to play against him? Like, what's that renegotiation process going to be like? Does he want to sign and I go through this again, or? Is he just looking at uh, counting down the days and then he's off to, I, I think this guy will have offers from everywhere to go. I think so too. I, it, it's really hard for me to think that he might stick with ROH though, knowing, you know, uh, certainly AEW is after him. Uh, the Bucks said as much in their uh, mailbag Q&A this week. Um, a, NXT, uh, I'm sure will at least throw him an offer. Uh, probably a really nice one as well. Uh, but if you're a squirrel, like, I don't really think there's any upside to being in ROH. Um, I think you're less visible. Um, you know, all your friends and all the high caliber matches that you might be able to have are elsewhere. Um, but you know, and if you're ROH, it's sort of a very difficult situation, isn't it? It's tough because ROH, it's, you know, they made, they made, I thought, some good signings at the end of last year with, with PCO, with Bandito. But this year, it's been, I just think they, they've given a message to their audience that it's, this is the product. And I, I don't think they've made the, the requisite changes to give this thing a big facelift to say, hey, uh, we are not just sitting on the sidelines while these other promotions have this big head-to-head battle this year. And I think they've, they, they've taken a, a step back from that. And it's been reflected in, in the audience the audience interest in ROH this year. I, I'm not writing the death knell on this group, but I feel that it's, it's something that they need to be injected with, with um, a strong vision and make that vision uh, very clear to its audience of what are we going to be in this? Are are we just going to be bystanders that are happy to be here? Or are we going to be in this fight? And uh, I think people see them sort of taking a step back from, you know, the, the bigger promotions this year. Do you, yeah, yeah, I guess we'll 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 see. Um either way, I I I I don't know if I see Matt Taven holding on to that belt that long. Well, he's he's uh defending it this week against Volador Jr. probably will retain there and then at the end of the month would be defending it against Roosh mm-hmm. and maybe they will put it on Roosh who is with the company now. Um that could be their switch or uh and then they're starting this tournament where it's an eight-man tournament and the winner will go to face the champion at final battle at the end of the year. So Taven could defend it at final battle if he's sticking around. Um, maybe it could be a three-way if there's a double pinfall in the semifinals. 
that could happen too. Sure. Yes. Um, two MMA stories here I just wanted to quickly go over. Uh, the first one being that uh, Chris Cyborg Justino has signed a multi-year contract to join Bellator and their featherweight division. So uh, they are calling this the uh, the biggest deal in women's MMA, the largest contract in women's MMA history. Uh, but they did not give any specifics. I don't know what that necessarily means. Maybe it was on a big piece of paper. It's the exact joke I thought of as well, oh, but shit, I was sorry. I was glad you actually went with it. Um, I I I think you could do like a a just a uh, an introductory fight. You don't have to go right to uh, the champion in Bellator right now is Julia Budd. That's probably the fight you could make right away, um, unless you just want to have a card where it's Cyborg just running through somebody. But it's it. Bellator certainly needs stars right now. Cyborg does bring uh, a certain level of, of star quality to her. And Mark Ramundi reported that uh, this contract, it seems very open-ended and it could allow her outs to do other sports. And I believe even includes a clause that she can do pro wrestling. I, I would have to. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, if you're an MMA fighter, you kind of need all the leverage points that you can get. And pro wrestling is happens to be, I think, uh, of growing uh, one that's uh, very popular these days. Maybe uh, a future Casino Battle Royale and you get uh, Chris Cyborg in there. Sure. Very possible. Uh, the last one, I just want to run by you because uh, this weekend, the UFC is going back to Abu Dhabi. They haven't been there since 2014. And it's interesting to look at this because uh, while you can't just uh, conflate all different uh, countries together, um, Abu Dhabi is one that does have uh, you know, uh, uh, so, some very oppressive laws, and it's been brought up by uh, several reporters, and it is, some have compared it to the WWE's deal uh, with Saudi Arabia. They did sign a deal earlier this year. It's a five-year deal that's going to bring shows over there. Uh, but there are some distinct differences here. Um, Ariel Hawani was mentioning on his show that uh, he had heard that they have actually requested that there be female fights on these shows, and there's going to be two of them on Saturday. And it's just kind of interesting to look at, uh, like, more and more, I think, fans of uh, mixed martial arts, of professional wrestling, and certainly in boxing right now, because uh, this is going on as well, about, you know, large amounts of money to bring these promotions over uh, to do shows. And, and I think fans and reporters looking at this uh, very much through through the eyes of, you know, how we looked at the WWE going over there to Saudi Arabia. What are these shows being designed to do? What it, what is the presentation like on the broadcast as well? And it's just kind of a, an interesting subject to look at and not an easy for one either. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny how, like, I think the Saudi Arabia deal, uh, obviously, or sorry, this uh, Abu Dhabi uh, UAE deal with the UFC has been going on for years now. Uh, how long has it been? It feels like it's well, been 10, right? They did their first show in 2012, and that's when there was this uh, company out of Abu Dhabi called Flash Entertainment that had bought... Uh, 10% of the company, uh, which they don't have any longer. They did two shows, one in 2000 and a l 2010, and then they came back in 2014. Uh, they haven't been there since, and after the sale to WME-IMG, uh, they no longer had that percentage in it, and then they signed this deal earlier this year. It's this five-year deal with the government, and we'll be bringing shows back there. So this is show yeah. number three. And again, you know, like you said, not to, you know, mix everything in together, but I, like going back to what you're talking about, maybe with regards to this being a part of a phenomenon, uh, our, our friend Kareem Zidane, uh, who appeared on our uh, 
what was it? What was that show called? Man, uh, that oh, that was after the last show. After what, what was, was the pay per view called? I forget. The crown was it the second crown jewel? It was not crown jewel. It was um, <laughs> the, our last. Uh, oh man, what was the Saudi that? Arabia show in June? Yeah. Anyway, uh, Kareem Zidane was a great guest on that show, and he's actually written an article kind of talking about the phenomenon and he's titled it sport washing he's uh, written it for guardian sport i've retweeted it uh but you can also follow zidane sports and find this and it just really talks about the the phenomenon of like like we know what the game is it's like you know these these governments that uh have a lot of money and perhaps um you know not the best track record for for um certain human rights um Mm -hmm. but you know using that money to perhaps increase their uh public image through sports the thing that we all love especially westerners uh you know through deals with mls or major league baseball and certainly with the wwe um so you know with entertainment it seems like it's a great way to get people to just kind of ignore the bigger story that's involved and because you know we all love our entertainment we all love our sports um it's at least something i think people should be aware of yeah, I think it's something that I, I mean, as these Saudi Arabia shows continue, I think me and Wei will continue to kind of look at these from a, a very different perspective. And it's something that I am I, I look at very I, I'm constantly looking at it of like the, the best way to cover these as well. And, you know, I, I think for the a large amount of the audience, I feel they want to watch. I think they're comfortable if. It's not necessarily what we got the first Saudi Arabia show where you watch that show and it was just uncomfortable at times. I don't think and I think WWE probably understands that, too. Now, what extent do they have in in the say of how these broadcasts go? That's probably uh, can be debated because they are taking a lot of money. And I would venture to guess that the final say probably doesn't come down to them when we're talking about these millions of dollars that are coming their way. But I think it's very important to look at why are these shows happening? What is the goal of these shows? And, you know, in Abu Dhabi, this is where uh, Sasha Banks and Alexa Bliss did have that match uh, years ago that the WWE has uh, continually brought up as well. So not to say all of these are similar examples, but it's something more and more and in boxing right now, there's there's a big debate because uh, 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 Ruiz and Anthony Joshua are going over to Saudi Arabia in December for their rematch, and it's and it's been met with a lot of criticism as well, um, much in the same way as WWE. And I think it's something that uh, combat sports is something that it is very easy to, it's very uh, digestible entertainment that you can bring over, expose to your audience, and it seems to be like that is a that's that's just trickling across all the different industries uh, that, that fall under this umbrella right now. Yeah. Yeah. Entertainment um, singers. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into SmackDown from Tuesday night. Actually, we should go over uh, the remainder of this week's shows that we have coming up on Wednesday night. Way and I are going to be back. If you're a member of the post wrestling cafe, we'll be dropping the double shot. And this week we're reviewing episodes five and six from season three of glow in Las Vegas. Um, Wait, have you watched the episodes yet? I have, yes. I'm going to be watching episode six once we're done doing this. So that that is my plan. Uh, we'll also go over some of the StarCast panels. I want to touch on the CM Punk interview that I got to watch. And yeah, whatever other panels we saw. Uh, the, there was an Adrian Street special on the WWE Network. So lots to discuss on the Double Shot this week. That'll be up Wednesday night. 
Then on Thursday, we've got uh, Braden Harrington and the birthday boy himself, Davey Portman. Happy birthday, Davey. What is he? 30. What What a what a youngin'. A, a, a young chap. Uh, they will be back with Up Next on Thursday. Uh, while we have the Cafe Hangout coming to you live at 3 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday, we will be taking your calls throughout the show, going through all of the news and uh, lots to lots to discuss on Thursday's Cafe Hangout. So we hope you join us. That- before that, uh, before we hit the SmackDown, want to give away something? Uh, yes. Let us do the prize pack. We are going to draw a name. All of our members of the Post Wrestling Cafe are in this draw to win a prize pack each and every Tuesday here on Rewind to SmackDown. So let us uh, roll through the names and scroll Scrolling. up and down. Scrolling. Uh, Way is uh, – he's just grabbed two names, and they are – they both have their shoulders down. So <laughs> instead of giving them both prizes, uh, we are going to make a referee's call and announce that the sole winner is – Congratulations to Eric Blomgren from Sweden. From Sweden? Yeah. Oh, boy. Eric Blomgren from Sweden. Congratulations. You win yourself a post-wrestling care pa- uh, prize pack consisting of a t-shirt, stickers, postcard, coffee sleeves. And Wei will be getting on the post-wrestling jet and delivering that any day now. Oh, I, I'd love to go to Sweden. Are you kidding me? Oh, it'd be wonderful. I'd love to go to Sweden. Sweden would be a great time. Yeah. I've never heard someone say, "Oh, I went to Sweden once." I've never heard met with, I've met never heard somebody up. Yeah, I've never heard somebody say I, I went to IKEA and had a bad time. So Oh, I've heard people that have had awful times at IKEA. Oh, I fucking love well, you are Mr. IKEA though. I love IKEA. Yes. And it's so Denmark though. Maybe you and I should go to Denmark where uh the 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 country of our favorite things, Aqua and Lego. That's that would be a wonderful trip, I think. Yeah. We would both have our Plenty to do while we were over there. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, somewhere we're not going either, uh, not physically, but in spirit, we are going to be going to Norfolk, Virginia. Well, not Norfolk. 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 Yeah. Okay. This is, uh, this is Nate Milton country. I know. I know. I don't know if he's watching these shows anymore, but yeah. The show started off with Bailey coming out. Out to her regular entrance, we didn't get the uh, inflatable middle fingers. <laughs> we didn't get the dubstep version of this theme? <laughs> yeah, not yet. Uh, baby steps. Right. Um, she had a very mixed reaction, but it was a very enthusiastic reaction. I mean, this was not indifference. This was a pretty heated response to yeah. Bailey coming out. I would say, like, it definitely started off 50-50, but then it, it almost felt like it grew to a majority, majority pro-Bailey definitely. reaction. First, she said, well, that's really confusing. And then they all got behind her. And it was a big Bailey chant. And it was very reminiscent of when Becky Lynch turned last summer and the response she got coming out on SmackDown to cut a heel promo and everyone was behind her. Um, it's almost was, it's almost textbook at this point. I know? think that they almost have it at this point where it would be crazy for them not to imagine that this was the response that they were going to generate on Monday night. Oh, for sure. And it's almost just like a surefire way to get one of your characters over by having her turn heel. Bailey said that Sasha has always had her back. She's her best friend. Nothing has changed. She's been trying to give people opportunities here and lift people up. Think about the kids. And she's trying to show the kids how to be loyal. And she couldn't turn her back on Sasha. And SmackDown deserves a champion with the same recognition as Becky Lynch. 
and calls Charlotte Flair, her opponent at Clash of Champions, the most selfish person on the roster. So Charlotte comes out and proclaims herself the queen of selfishness, but says, what you see with me is what you get. There's no blindsiding and there's no hugging. And tells Bailey, hug the title tight. And before she can finish her line, Sasha walks out. And Flair then just goes and attacks Bailey and then gets into a big brawl with Sasha. And it ends with Bailey returning with a chair and attacks Flair. And the crowd, who had to be so confused here of who to get behind, just chants one more time because they want to see someone get hurt. And this was a pretty deafening chant. Uh, Bailey hands the chair over to Sasha. And Sasha proceeds to nail Charlotte in the back. And then Charlotte moves over and lies on her back. But Sasha had already wound up. So you got the rare, the chair shot to the front. And that looked like it just killed. Mm, right. Not look fun to take. Yeah. And then the crowd starts chanting for Becky. And Charlotte is left laying in the ring as your heels, Bailey and Sasha depart. And one thing that we didn't take into account when we talked about, you know, how this messes up the Bailey Charlotte dynamic is the fact that this clash of champions card is taking place in Charlotte, where Mm. you would think had they not done this, they very well could have gotten a crowd that was going to be booing Bailey anyway. So, Mm. There is that thinking that perhaps they realize this going in. They have now encouraged that reaction for Charlotte, um, for the crowd to cheer for the performer. And coming out of it, you can always revert Charlotte back as a heel once she's distanced from Bailey. But I think that's kind of what's been set up now for Charlotte to be the babyface on that night in North Carolina. It actually makes a lot of sense, you know, once you consider all those factors. And I think beyond, you know, uh, the negative reaction Bailey probably would have had in the match anyway, Bailey was in need of a facelift. And this was it, you know? Pardon this... the pun. What pun? Well, she she got a face turn through her oh. face. Oh. Yes. Ah, very good. Thank you. Uh, you know, the like, it's, it's really interesting follow-up, though, in this particular uh, segment with both characters, where I think you had both characters still stay very true to, like, their core values. You had Bailey here still wanting to be a role model for uh, little girls, still wanting to be a leader of this division for SmackDown, but doing it in a way that, you know, she had to sell out her her own principles to do it to the point where she's almost delusional now about her not recognizing that she's done anything wrong. And you have Charlotte on the other hand, who, you know, is very kind of honest about being a jerk, but she's the type of jerk that we're, we're likely to respect because she's at least honest, whereas Bailey isn't. So, I mean, it, to me, it's like, it's very much like a Brett Austin type of double turn where, but on a much smaller scale, of course, where, you know, baby face is leaning into the baby face, but like, you know, in a, in a heelish way. And the heel is still the badass, but one that you kind of want to get behind and cheer. Uh, so I, I would say like, this was all really effective. Even if you're, you know, Bailey and Sasha are getting baby face reactions. So what? Like, in at least, like, look at what, how, you know, how much elevated Bailey is from somebody that we didn't care about to now somebody who I would say is is relatively hot in the division. Unlike Becky, I really don't think that, the, like, the babyface reactions were just done out of kind of the shock on Monday night that crowds are always going to respond to. And I don't feel this is going to be a groundswell of babyface support for Bailey in this role. 
I don't think, I think so they either. will. I think they will take to these two as kind of your uh, your two woman power trip. And do you think this match, this tag match, will take place at Hell in a Cell or Smack or the Fox show? You know what? I would if you were going to do the the horsewomen in a tag match together and Becky and Charlotte having to work together. Um, I would do that on Fox instead of Hell in a Cell. I would say any big ideas I think are more important right now for Fox than the pay-per-views. It's also a non-title match, you know, uh, but you can argue this would be a bigger match than any title match right now. Yeah, I I could see them doing something even bigger on that first or second week on Fox uh, involving, like, I think they're just going to throw everything out. Like, I, I could see, like, a big title match taking place on on those shows to build those up. Like, I, they really are way more important than Hell in a Cell. Mm-hmm. Um, did you think enough was done to address the Sasha promo from last week where it was very anti Bailey and this one, they kind of just explained it through Bailey stating that, uh, they had a rough patch that they worked through. I mean, um, they probably could have done more, especially like, um, last week, but I, I didn't really think too much about it afterwards, you know, didn't bother me, but I I also I'm a forgetful wrestling fan. Well, they're they're preying upon you. Yeah. Ali and Elias. Uh which King, King of the Ring. Yeah, which I realize you can't spell Elias without Ali. Wow. What does that mean? Yes. Um you also can't spell well, you could spell alias with Elias. Yes. <clears throat> I don't know you can if you can actually. You uh, you'd have you need an, another it, A. Uh, you cannot spell alias with Elias, but you okay. can't spell Ollie. <laughs> this was my uh, level of engagement during uh, Elias's introduction. Uh, but then the match began. Uh, oh, well, first we got Elias's promo about being the greatest acquisition in SmackDown history, and Ali will swear a new oath that is long live King Elias. All yeah. of these just have the same ending of King Blank. Yeah, honestly, like, you know, I, I really like the fact that we get to hear from them, but they're they're really kind of pretty low on substance, all of these promos. So the match began, and it was Elias attacking Ali's knee. That would be the central focus of the match. He caught a suicide dive and drove him into the LED board and then dumped him on the ramp. And then into the timekeeper's area, all around ringside. And Ali comes back after the break. He ends up hitting a suicide dive from behind, and he's favoring his left arm. Uh, Elias is grabbing his left arm and then Ali hits a 450 splash onto the arm. Yeah. Look Can you imagine someone doing this? 450 uh, I, onto your arm. I mean, I saw it. I, yeah. It's, then he uh, used La Mystica, which I guess is, yeah. uh, he's claimed now. Uh, Elias made the rope. He came back, sit out power bomb, stretch muffler onto the injured knee of Ali and got the rope break. Then he wrapped Ali's knee around the post Ali did this big backflip, landing on the floor, and his knee buckled. And then Elias jumped off the turnbuckle into a super kick. Ali missed the 450 inside the ring. Elias went back to the knee and hit drift away. And he won this match in 11 minutes and 28 seconds. And I thought Ali might go right to the finals of this thing. So I was kind of surprised by this. And it, it really feels like they're doing the same story on Raw and SmackDown with Baron and Elias. Yeah, yeah, and I would say with the same uh, cruiserweights that they managed to beat up, uh, but 
you know, have excellent matches with. So great job, Ali, here. This was perhaps a match where I feel like Ali did the lion's share of the work. But I, I do recognize also a bit of an increased aggression from Elias here. I actually, like, notice it in a lot of the, the heels in the WWE lately. So, um, you know, he did his part. Uh, I thought he did good. And I think this tournament, like, continues to provide some of the best TV matches we've seen in a long time from people that you wouldn't expect them from including somebody like uh, Elias here, which this was not a match I was looking forward to, but I thought this match was good. If there is one conclusion to make after Ron Smackdown this week, Baron Corbin and Elias on 205 Live. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I don't know how many more viewers that would attract, but I'm sure their their match quality would, would drastically increase. Listen, pairing these guys with cruiserweights worked this week. You're absolutely right. Yeah, they worked really well with cruiserweights, both of them. 205 Lias. Could help that show, maybe. Then he plays the guitar on the throne. Kayla interviewed Samoa Joe. He's here to scout his competition, and whoever faces him in the final will be put to sleep, and he will be called the king, unless there is a multiple pins and they'll have to share the crown. Yeah, not exactly sure about, like, why Joe was on this show. Is he a SmackDown guy, though? Is that it? No, he's a Raw guy. He's a Raw guy. Okay, not that it matters anymore. But, you know, like, he had a he had a role doing this promo with Chad Gable that was to come. But, but I guess that was it. Mm-hmm. Like, but why the need to even explain anything, though, with this? I think this is all going to be... I think we're right at the tail end of the wild card. Because I think, uh, come October, I, I think we're going to get our, our dedicated yeah. rosters of Raw and SmackDown. But I guess I meant... What was the point of this segment in particular? Oh, I can't tell you. This guy was was flown here to to Virginia to do a promo with Kayla and make Chad Gable cry. And that was Chad, it. Chad Gable crying, I understand, but I, I I guess I didn't understand why you needed to, you know, even set up the Chad promo bullying segment. Well, we will we will get there. But first way, it's time to enter the room. <clears throat> Well, if the mountain is not going to come to me, then I am going to come to the mountain. Some awful grammar here. I am going to come to the mountain. Well, I mean, it's not his first language. I am heading down to that ring and see if there is anyone man enough to pick a fight with me. Meanwhile, Aleister Black was having a wrestling match right in front of my eyes with his shirt and buttons as he was trying to undress here as he was doing this promo. Multiple talents at this on display here. I will say watching this, it felt like we're we're moving away from the room. That's what this felt like. Which I'll be very sad. This was a much shorter promo. I was all set to go. I had done my my wrist exercises, and this was two lines. I'm not Three so. Lines. I mean, I'm not so sure. Honestly, I feel like we'll continue to use the room the same way. Like you know, Bray Wyatt used to always use the room. Like I feel like this will be his spot. I think he's maybe got a permanent uh, uh, mortgage on this dark room. Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross took on Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. So. This is the brand split, okay? Baby faces on one show, heels on the other. That is Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. I guess so. Sure. We got Mandy Rose doing a, a hair flip 
on Nikki. And then they stomped down Nikki for a long period of time. Uh, uh, she hit the, uh, the Nikki high cross to the floor to set up the commercial break. And then Mandy yelled at Nikki, you will never look like me. And then Bliss said, no one wants to look like you. Bliss got tagged in, big pop, rose and cross, went to the floor. DeVille hit her knee strikes onto Bliss. Bliss hit a DDT, then went for the twisted Bliss, landing on Sonya's knees. And then Rose returned, and they hit the total elimination, high-low for the win in 6.55. And this had been set up with the two wanting to challenge these two to a title match at Clash of Champions. Then they win the match. I think we're getting a title match at Clash of Champions. You would think so. And <laughs> yeah, I would think so too. I, I like the new finish. You know, it's it it's a total elimination, but using Mandy's V trigger, which is her best looking move. I think it gives that move a good deal of importance and it looks good. So I'm a fan of it. I liked Rose and Deville in this match. I think they've both been looking improved. Um, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't want Cross and Alexa to just lose the belts yet because those titles need to be established. But I think as a pay-per-view defense of the titles, I think Rose and DeVille are, are deserving candidates. Sure. I mean, this it's a, it's a match. You can do. It's just like, it's, it's some added responsibility for those two. Then they aired a promo for The Undertaker on SmackDown next week. Maybe he'll be moderating a contract signing. <laughs> Chad Gable is backstage and Samoa Joe runs into him. And laughs about Gable's chances at winning the King of the Ring, stating he looks he would look like a baby in a high chair if he won the King of the Ring. And he knows that these insults are old, but they still hurt Chad because he's mentally weak. And then he walked off calling him Bilbo. And Gable looks like he was about to tear up and just like shook his head like oh, that oh. guy. Oh, well, clearly the, the direction in the script is is to look sad. Um, and we got his best here, Sad Chad. Sad Chad. Sad Chad. Yeah. Um, you know, they're 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 certainly continuing with this like short Chad Gable storyline, but I think the fact that they're like drawing all this TV time to it certainly seems to suggest that it's building towards some type of like, you know, transformation for him. Because I can't really see them doing this for any other reason. So Joe, if you're going to hire a bully to do anything, is probably the best candidate that you have, and maybe that's the reason why he was on the show. Uh, but I also found that he was almost a bit of a motivator here, telling like Chad that he's been letting people walk all, all over him, and Joe was about to do the same. So, well, and it would it did work for this crowd getting into his comeback. Absolutely, that we'll get into absolutely. Randy Orton comes back, calls uh, comes out, calls Kofi a fraud, was never at his level. They show highlights of the revival in Orton destroying the New Day over the last couple of weeks, including Xavier Woods' ankle injury. Orton calls out Kofi to face him like a man. And we go to the entrance, and there are the revival jumping Kofi. They bring him down. They explain the New Day are not here. They're nursing their injuries. Orton gets in, attacks Kofi. He's calling him stupid while stomping him down. And at Clash of Champions, he's going to beat him down in front of his fans, his friends, and his family using the three most destructive letters. But then Kofi won't let him use those three letters. He fights back, but then gets beaten down and hit with a super RKO. And Orton whispers in his ear, stupid bitch. <laughs> this was, again, I thought really good. You know, they've done a great job stacking the odds against Kofi and making us want to see Kofi get revenge. Uh, Orton, again, was great in it. 
you know, but I'll say like almost too great because it, like we saw at the last pay-per-view, he's been so entertaining that, you know, Toronto already did it, but like it might start to bleed to other audiences where people are starting to like Orton over Kofi. I think we're also at the point where if Kofi doesn't get some form of revenge by next week, the balance will probably have, have swung too far. So next week is the go home show. I'm hoping we see a very fired up Kofi taking out the revival and Orton barely getting away before Sunday. I think that they've set this up really well. If it's going to go in the direction that I think it will, where Randy's big thing at SummerSlam was you ran away from a fight in front of your family. And I think that this sets up Clash of Champions where there's no stipulation that it's going to be fired up Kofi and it's going to be Randy that takes the count out to get away from Kofi and gives you a reason for Hell in a Cell. Yeah. I, um, now him running away due to count out, I don't know if that makes that much sense though, seeing as how the title's on the line. Like what would motivate Kofi to... He's a coward. He's he's a he's a coward yeah. down under here with Kofi that he is that he is avoiding the fight with with Kofi. I understand what you mean. Like you do have to do it in a way where it doesn't. Uh, the title still like has to make sense. I think you have to do it in, in such a way though that it is Randy ultimately cowering, and yes. Kofi is the one that wants. Kofi is not letting him out here. He right. is the one that would push for the match that neither of them are going to run away from, especially Randy. And that is your, your blow-off match, and that's where you have the big Kofi victory. Do you think the program has enough legs to go until then? I I mean, they're going to have I didn't really. think SummerSlam was... I, I think all the non-wrestling has been very good. So I think they have to have a hell of a match before they kind of give you a fuck-you finish at Clash of Champions. Yeah. I, I think three matches is a lot that they've pushed between these two, especially because... SummerSlam didn't get off on a good foot. So I that said, it's a very short turnaround. So yes, I do think they can get to Hell in a Cell. Mm. Um, also notable that this pay-per-view cycle, no Shane McMahon, no Kevin Owens. And I wonder if they're just purposely holding off on those two to go back to something, uh, whether it be Hell in a Cell, whether it's something big on Fox, because I think Owens, like they really did a terrible job coming out of SummerSlam with him that I am almost glad he's kind of just off to the sidelines right now. If they don't have anything great for him, just keep him off this show. I agree. You're right. You know, uh, he had no role on this. Neither of them had any role on, on this show. Um, and maybe it's for the best. Andrade versus Chad Gable was our next quarterfinal match where Byron Saxton said that Chad Gable has made a career out of putting the mute button on his doubters. Okay. Wow. The the real life mute button. Zelina Vega then gets the microphone and says, I swear I'm not making this up, from one vertically challenged person to another. She oh, thought, that sounds like a very weird way to identify yourself. I am vertically challenged. Okay. Anyway. She says she thought Chad Gable could win the King of the Ring if Andrade was not in the tournament. But he is. And tells him to keep going, little guy. So then the match begins, and this is when Chad... So, like, in the same breath, she, she's trying to put him over while making fun of his height. Yes. So they they want to make sure that the audience knows that he's really short, and he's supposed to be an underdog, yet um, he could potentially win this tournament, according to Zelina. Yes. 
Yes. Okay. All right. I'm trying to make sense of it. I, I don't have. No, I, 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 I know, like, you know, obviously, like, seeing the, the result of this match, like, you, you know that this is their way of pushing him by having, you know, uh, by bullying him, basically, and making fun of his height, um, making him, like, bagel boss, and having him, you know, fire up and prove his uh, bullies wrong. The savior for this guy is he's a tremendous right. wrestler. And he's getting that opportunity now to have longer matches. He, he's getting a chance to have matches, period. Yep. Um, and because this this is like a kiss of death gimmick that he's got. That um, I was very surprised that the audience got as much into him here as they did. So, I mean, um, you can't ignore that. Yep. Um, Gable hit him with this big slam and monkey flip and then got tossed over the turnbuckle for the commercial setup. Come back, wrist clutch suplex by Gable, and then he eats a big boot um, then Andrade goes to the three amigos. He hits two of them, and then Gable counters into the rot- uh, the consecutive German suplexes. But then Andrade cuts him off to hit the final amigo. Chad then climbs to the t- uh, Andrade. First of all, goes for the double moonsault, landing on his feet, and then lands on the knees of Gable. The crowd starts chanting for Gable as he climbs to the top and hits this beautiful top rope moonsault. And gets a tremendous near fall. This thing, he's got a phenomenal moonsault. And it, this really got the audience behind him. Oh, I mean, those Kurt Angle comparisons are there for a reason. Like, he is almost exactly, like, he's that good. He's the real illegitimate son. Yeah. Chaos Theory gets stopped. Then he's hip-tossed into the corner, gets out of the way from the double knees, then hits the Chaos Theory, but Zelina Vega is distracting Charles Robinson, and the audience is furious. Like, this was an angry crowd because they believed this guy hadn't won, and we know we're getting a fuck finish. And they swerved you by not giving you the fuck finish because... Andrade went for the spinning elbow, set up for the hammerlock DDT. It's blocked, and Gable used a sunset roll-up to pin Andrade at 7.54. And I think, I thought both outcomes uh, surprised me on these King of the Rings. So I was genuinely surprised by both of these, and I was really impressed that the crowd got into Gable as much as they did in this match. And it feels like you've set up a story that this guy facing Elias next week, and then potentially... Baron Corbin, Samoa Joe, or Ricochet. Um, I, I really hope Gable goes to the finals here because any pairing of those, um, you either tell the story against the oversized guys, which maybe is where they go with Baron, which is maybe the weakest match, but um, they, they've they already don't go planted, that They've already planted the seeds with Joe on this episode. They've planted the seeds with Joe, um, though I feel he's like my least likely of the three to go, but maybe. So um, would Gable, be, though, you know? Like Gable would would have fit. Like I, I think they're certainly being uh, unpredictable with this King of the Ring, at least this this week. And maybe the end result will be completely, you know, different from what anybody thought as well. But um, I thought the match was excellent, and it needed to be in order for Chad Gable to kind of, you know, make this angle work. Um, thankfully, it was because these two had a tremendous reaction for themselves by the end of this match. Uh, and I would say the promo earlier con- from Joe contributed to the reaction. I think Zelina's promo contributed to the reaction so we'll see how they follow up here but like you know we are very critical of course of like the shorty g and all like whatever this thing is supposed to be but this might actually work you know so uh vince's twisted vision might prove us all wrong again alistair black had his open challenge which was answered during the commercial break by shelton benjamin 
Uh, we had Black do the Cabrada into the seated position, and then we see a knee strike that sends Benjamin to the floor. And then Benjamin hits his own flying knee that sends Black to the floor, and then Black fires back with this awesome combination of kicks. They just look fantastic. Benjamin try, tries to hit a spinning heel kick that misses, allowing Black to hit Black Mass, and he wins this in a minute 52. I like how, like, you know, they had Shelton's, like, money clip, which was, like, like to me, like, the classic spinning kick finisher get countered by Alistair's, like, shiny new, like, 2019 model. Um, to me, that was, like, a nice little kind of referencing point for, yeah. for uh, like, a bit of a changing of the guard here. I, the it, money clip got topped by uh, Venmo here. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> the Black Mass is the PayPal of kicks. <laughs> This was a good, like, brief TV showcase for Alistair Black, which is totally fine, but I think a little disheartening when you think about, like, the fact that this dude's been on the main roster since, like, what, like, January, February? February? Yeah. January, February. And he's still yeah. out here doing, like, the same type of introductory matches that we've, we, we've seen him do, like, for several months. So it's hard for me to hate on this because at least they're keeping Alistair Black somewhat special and they're treating him like a serious threat. Uh, the potential is still very much alive, but... It to me just kind of reminds you how much time they might have wasted over the past like six seven months. There's that side of it. There's also the idea that it's like he's there. He's like he's he's on the sidelines and can be inserted, and they can go with him at any point. Like I don't think he's necessarily been damaged. They just haven't gotten a whole lot of use out of this guy. I and think I, he should be way hotter now, though. Than he uh, perhaps he he's. Is. You know, you run the risk if you, like, they've been careful not to put him out every single week, which maybe just because they don't have the program for him now, but they realize that that's, they've got something great, every month, great though, with John, this guy. He nev- they, he, they never have the program for him. He's never had a program, period. I, I think we're we're saying the same thing, just differently. Oh, I, I'm yeah. just arguing they haven't overexposed and ruined this guy. You're saying they just, they haven't done anything with him, which it, it's accurate. He's... Yeah. He's there, and I think the jury's still out on where this guy's going to go. And I'm optimistic that they they see a lot in this guy. I am too. The fact that they you know continue to like treat him in this light, uh, like they're giving him basically the 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 squash matches that are typically reserved for like your giants. Um, except you know um, he doesn't have to be the Viking Raiders. He's he's one single guy, and he's beating up established people like Shelton Benjamin in quick fashion. So I I have no doubt they'll treat him seriously. I I just uh. I feel like we we should have gotten there by now. Drake Maverick is with Renee. She's back, and he's the 24-7 champion. The Sings attacked him. Grand Metalik got in, then Curtis Axel, and it ended with Bo Dallas rolling up Drake Maverick to win the title and leave Drake alone with his wife. Mm-hmm. Yep, whatever. Shinsuke Nakamura and Sami Zayn come out. Zayn runs down his opponent, Andrew Howard, who was no... Um, Brian Thomas. No, unfortunately not. No. <laughs> uh, he made fun of him and then said that tonight, Andrew Thomas will be the Miz as a preview of what Nakamura is going to do to him. Was it Andrew Howard or Andrew Thomas? Uh, this was Andrew Howard. Got it. Yes. Brian Thomas, I believe, was the the dead Elvis from last night. So they're doing this deal now where during Nakamura's matches, Sami Zayn is on the microphone. The Leo and- Rush gimmick. The Leo Rush gimmick, sure. So Nakamura is attacking him with kicks and forearms, and he tries to fight back. Zayn mocks him. I'm really not enjoying this. 
until Nakamura hits the running knee to the ribs where he's draped on the top. And most people listening to this are not going to get this reference, but way will. Sami Zayn exhibited a spot on Ram Dean laugh. <laughs> Did he? Ah! <laughs> he hit him in the ribs. Oh, oh man. And there I turned the corner. But I don't know if everyone listening to this. <laughs> he thought he was going to fucking kill him. <laughs> Oh, I don't know how many people have been exposed to John Ramdean and his <laughs> amazing laugh, but if they have, I think this would really turn the corner on this Zane thing. But what did you think about the Zane uh, portion of this presentation with Nakamura? You know, I really liked his uh, little, like, I like him as a mouthpiece for Nakamura, uh, cutting promos as he's walking to the ring. I hate the running commentary yeah. that they tried with Leo Rush and I didn't think worked. To me, it's like, I know they're going for obnoxious here, but it's like, uh, to me, obnoxious in the, like, <laughs> comic way. Like, to me, this is too too much, like, of a comedy thing and not something that allows me to see Shinsuke Nakamura as a legitimate main event level threat. The other thing is when you're doing this, the crowd is inherently going to listen to you, and they're not going to make any noise during the match. Absolutely. Yep. And I, I think it kind of kills the atmosphere, too. So... They're trying different things, you know? We'll see if this one sticks. Like, that seems to be Sami Zayn's 2019. It's just, like, a mixed bag of trying random shit. Um, so, you know, he's we've had the throne or the electric chair so The electric far. chair way. Um, I guess the Lashley's, one and only. Lashley's sisters was technically last year, right? Uh, Lashley's sisters was last year. Okay, yes. well, listen, he's tried a lot. Um, and we know that they're not afraid to change if something isn't working. So we'll see how this <laughs> how long this goes. This poor guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. honestly, he's been through the ringer these last couple of years. Uh, the 24-7 guys then stormed the ring after the Nakamura match. He won with the Kinshasa, by the way, in a minute 14. And by the end of this, this was only uh, 74 seconds. But I think that Sami Zayn may need the stem cells in his vocal cords if this <laughs> continues. Jeez. Wow. He really went all out during this minute 14. Yeah. Uh, so all the 24-7 guys run in. It's it's a mess. Drake, Drake Maverick ends up rolling up Bo Dallas after Curtis Axel's trying to defend Dallas. And he's leaving with the title. R-Truth sneaks up from behind the uh, the set with the uh, the throne and rolls up Drake Maverick to win the title. Yeah, 14-time champion. And this was about as much as we, as we had for the 24-7 belt uh, this week, which, I mean, I don't know. It's It's, it's, it's just kind of been spinning like... In the same, spot. I almost think this title doesn't even need to be on TV much. It can just be the title where you do stuff at different functions and with media and go yeah. go crazy. Show the highlights on YouTube and stuff. Like it almost doesn't even need to be on TV. It can just be your your PR title to do wacky shit at all your different uh, events that you do outside the of PR uh, title. I'd love for this like uh, title to 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 do a run in. Like during the the next uh, stockholders call or something, like maybe nice. maybe this needs to culminate with uh, Drake Maverick uh, going on aftermath and Nug goes for a roll up and Jimmy Corderas all of a sudden gets on all fours. That is fucking perfect. I love it. Would that. have it would have like the referee shirt. Well, I mean, you have hoodie. you have Anthony Corelli already already there, former wrestler. He he does the Cobra to Drake Maverick yeah. and then Nug does the roll up and Jimmy does the count. Oh, so you think you, why why do you why does Nug have to win? 
I mean, I I'm think trying Nugs, to, I'm, I'm trying to give, it. give Nugs some some shine here. Would love it if Nug won, but to me, I feel like they would just give it to Santino. But you're right. Okay, Santino wins it, and he goes to Bloodsport to defend it. And then um, who's he facing at Bloodsport? Uh, oh, Simon Grimm. Okay. Oh man, done. And Simon Gotch gets it back. Yeah, so you could uh, challenge Enzo to a match. Yeah. Are you going to watch that Bloodsport card in a few weeks? I'm, I'm planning to. They haven't. I, I'm they, too. They still haven't uh, announced the main event. But um, Allison Kay, uh, Nicole Savoy is having a match. Um, who else? Tom Lawler announced today. Uh, he's taken on. Who is he taking on? Here, let me look up Josh Barnett. So they, they've yet to announce a replacement for Moxley against Barnett. But uh, I expect that in the next couple of days. But we're getting. Like an uh, idiot. I typed in Bloodsport too. So I'm reading uh, the Wikipedia <laughs> about the next Kumite right now. Uh, Davy Boy Smith Jr. taking on Filthy Tom Lawler. Okay. Bloodsport. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for that. And uh, as we mentioned, Anthony Corelli, not wrestling as Citino, but wrestling as um, Judo Black Belt. 30 year I'm really judo looking black forward belt. to seeing him doing non comedy. Like, oh, yeah. I, dude, like. I don't think many people know Anthony Corelli's background and his like, the gimmick he was called, doing before Santino. His, like he was, they his, were grooming him like a like a Fedor character. His gym is called Battle Arts, and he employs, or at least at at one time did employ Yuki Ishikawa. I don't know if he's still mm-hmm. there or not, but I don't think yeah. he is anymore. Okay, but yeah, like they, like he's all about shoot style pro wrestling, so I can't wait to see that. Yeah, so I think that's happening next Saturday, uh, next Saturday night. So. Awesome. That looks like a cool show. I think it's an awesome concept that they're they've gone and Josh Barnett's a great guy to they they had a great show WrestleMania weekend. Like of all those shows we saw, that was one that certainly stood out with the uh Barnett Suzuki main event. Like that was a really fun show. I just uh you know that it's main... a real battle to uh climb over people to see it. Yeah. And that main event, like the Suzuki Barnett main event, is gonna be really tough to top. And yep. you know, Moxley versus Barnett would have been uh one that I feel would have increased like would have rivaled it in terms of at least in anticipation so with that out of the picture uh i'm really curious to see who he has to replace him i i hope it's good yeah yeah i mean it's uh it's it'll it's be kind tough of a, though you know on kind short of a tough name to replace on short notice um I've, i'm just looking at uh okay this this only has i thought there was more of the card here uh one All right. more match jr kratos taking on eric hammer okay yeah 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 um Kratos was on that that first one WrestleMania weekend, and Eric Hammer's been a long time uh, training partner with Barnett, and it's done pro wrestling. Rory Gulak is also on the card, but I'm not sure if he's uh, got an opponent yet, right now. All right, well, from there, that was all f- our segue from the 24 uh, seven championship. <laughs> yeah, uh, like two things still that on our truth. Two things that couldn't be further apart. <laughs> Daniel Bryan came out for the final segment. He wants his apology. He says he knows it looks bad. But he's been made guilty by association. He is not a liar. He has never lied to any of the people. He hates liars. And th- that is pretty legit when I hear Brian Danielson speak. I believe this guy whenever he says anything. I find so he is what? one of those so people. you don't think that- he did it? I'm not saying the character. I'm saying legit. This guy, oh. I think, is one of those people that has a really hard time lying to people. And if you've read his book or heard any interview this guy has done, like he is honest to literally a fault because he will say things that are just uh, probably don't do him any any positives to be so open about. Right, right. Hmm. He hates liars. He wants an apology from Roman, not just for falsely accusing him, but for calling him a liar. He's got like the Owen Hart trick where he gets a word and he just drums it into your head. 
and he just says it over and over, and it just becomes like the crux of the promo. And in this one, it was a liar. And he said it was such such filth. Dude, like, I still think about, like, fickle, fickle, fickle. Like, to, yeah, to this day, like, anybody who says fickle, I, I automatically think about this character. Yeah. It's like, to get something over, you just do it. It's like Jericho would find this. It's like, you, you get something, and you just hammer it into people's head, and it gets mm-hmm. over. Reigns comes out, but he's jumped by Eric Rowan. Uh, and we should mention, prior to the show, they announced on the website, it's going to be Roman Reigns and Eric Rowan. So it looks they are pushing this eventual... They clearly see that this Brian match, which uh, they obviously see as something that we can get way more legs out of this. Like, I would be very curious what this program was initially set out to be lengthwise and how much life they've gotten out of it. Yeah, certainly. I mean, they've they've really taken their time, but man, it's... It's definitely worn on me, though, the pacing of this whole story. Um, but I understand. I can't blame him for, like, going to Roman versus Rowan first. Sure. Especially, again, like, we look to to Fox, and maybe they think that, like, that's a way more valuable match to have on Fox than it is to throw away two weeks earlier, or a couple weeks earlier before on at the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. So Reigns is jumped by Rowan. He then shoves Daniel Bryan aside, and he power bombs Roman Reigns into the post, and then hits him with the iron claw in the ring. And Rowan gets the microphone and says, the joke is on him. If he thinks Brian did it, I am nobody's puppet. And last week I was repeatedly slapped. And he challenges Brian to come slap him again. And you just hear Brian say from the floor, we're friends. <laughs> Rowan says, I'm proud of what I've done to you. And he admits to it. But he is most proud of the pain that Reigns is going to feel at Clash of Champions and then drills him on the floor with the steps, clears the announcer's desk, and Brian gets in the way to stop him and slaps Rowan and leads to Rowan picking up Brian with the claw slam and putting him down onto the table with it and yells, nobody tells me what to do. And nobody touches him uh, is what he yells as his mysterious music plays. And by the end of this, um, I almost felt it was like music. You mean his theme music? Yeah. Which we never hear. Yeah. It's rare. Yeah. (laughs) This might've been the first time the Vintners come out and had his own theme music. I've I've heard it before, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a little mysterious. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're dragging this thing all the way, um, till at least, uh, October. Um, you know, I found it interesting that they had Rowan by getting heat, um, you know, on Brian, making it feel like Brian has nothing to do with it. Do you look at this as misdirection or what? What do you think was the purpose of that? Yes, I think ultimately you have to get to Brian. And I think that this is all going to be revealed as their ploy to try and manipulate Roman Reigns and his sensibilities. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, because not? if not, like this almost like kind of like you were risking like a big babyface spot with Rowan doing this to Brian at the end. But I don't feel the audience really took to it like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm honestly like pretty checked out of this whole thing. <laughs> like, I think it's just really ran its course. Like, how, how did you feel Rowan did in this, you know, a, a big spot for him? Yeah, fine. You know, I don't see him as uh, I think I'm not I'm looking. Gonna... This match needs to be six minutes tops. Honestly, this feels like a TV match at best. Um, but yeah. the fact that you know they want to delay it for for like a big show, uh, they want to delay Brian versus Ro- Roman for a bigger show. I totally understand. 
but I have no interest in Roman versus Rowan. I I think we already know how it ends. We know that it'll ultimately lead to Rowan versus Roman. Oh, this is going to I know it's going to be really hard at this show. Roman versus Brian eventually. So to me, this is just, you know, um, I don't know, another chapter that we can all pretty much predict. Um, I think I would enjoy this a whole lot more if I feel like the overall story and the overall mystery was crafted a little bit better. I just, I feel like there's still so many like loose ends that they haven't tied. Um, we don't know who was operating the forklift. We don't know who the other, uh, fake Rowan was. Uh, we don't know why Daniel Bryan didn't use the fake Rowan as an excuse or at least, you know, wonder if it was the fake Rowan that was doing the, the stuff last week. There are so many things that I think. What happened in that hanging. room when SmackDown went off the air with the three of them? Probably just left. Went to the stakeout. The four of after. them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and did they away. lose the fake Rowan? Is he somewhere yeah. Lost uh, in someone's baggage? Pretty much, yeah. You know, whatever. Like, you make up your own. Like, the thing is, I, I just mean, I'm checked out because it's been way too long. And these twists and turns have not really been compelling enough to keep me interested. Um, you know, like, I think back to last summer and when the WWE tried something like this with the who attacked Aleister Black angle, there's almost no comparison. Like they that had was actually, so many interesting wrinkles and they had the footage and they had reasons for there how. There was so much pre-planning done in that oh. one shot. Like put, fra- putting everybody in the right frame, shooting the thing with Nikki Cross up in the, the whatever, uh, uh, up top. Like, in, in, like everything was thought of before they actually went and executed it. Whereas this really feels like it's being written week to week and not very well. So... I, I'm just if ready you had, for the If you had had a long, like if you had done this right before SummerSlam and it climaxed with the reveal, like that, like that stuff always works when it comes to a mystery that you have some real intrigue behind. And then you do the big reveal in one of the first two weeks of, on Fox. I think that's something that if you had built that up for six weeks and then did the reveal, I think that could have been something that. It, it, w- it would have grabbed some interest just because there would have been some some intrigue uh, built up, you know, from mid-August. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But, you know, like, uh, I I can't see this company, like, being able to tell that long of a story. Not not in its current incarnation. Well, maybe that will be something interesting to watch with NXT on USA. And, what, and honestly, like, NXT now is in a very different boat where they were... In some ways, it was a benefit. Like, they had to work four weeks ahead and have all their television written. That's not going to be the case anymore. So if you're coming off a bad rating, you now have the option that you can hotshot something, you can change your mind, you can be much more erratic as opposed to, you know, companies like MLW, like Impact, and up until now, NXT, where you were handcuffed to your long-term plan because you had to produce all that television and tape ahead. I have to imagine, you know, if if if, if in fact it, it is going to be the same producers that are going to, going to be creating NXT, that um, I think Hunter probably recognizes one of the strengths of his product is that there's a lot of pre-planning and like, yeah, you know, sticking to long-term storylines um, that makes NXT successful that they'll probably want to keep. But I'm sure the temptation will always be there to change course eventually. Especially if you have another program on and you know it's going to be this this weekly this, this this weekly contest that you know three weeks in and it's like hey we've got a long term plan and sorry we're in it we're like that's where that's the trap of getting caught up in television numbers and wanting to have bragging rights versus doing like cohesive long term story planning which can sometimes get 
blowing up, and we certainly saw that in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, tonight's SmackDown. Um, Raw did around a 6.6. Yes. Um, Do you think SmackDown topped it way? No. Actually, yes. I'm going to say yes. Like, I thought that we had two good King of the Ring matches. Um, uh, You know, the Sasha... Charlotte stuff was was you know there was was not it was inoffensive uh Orton I'm gonna say about the same or, or actually a little better maybe okay so around a seven we'll say is the guess the forum wow. voted a 7.57 Smackdown gets the win this week on the forum yeah killed it all right let's get into some feedback Paul from New Jersey I like Bailey's explanation even if the delivery was awkward the four horsemen the four horsewomen feuding works for me. Quite the contrast in terms of reactions for Chad Gable week to week. Good for him. The 24-7 comedy was not nearly as funny as Alistair Black's promo. Yikes. They need to stop these. Uh, he says he's going to the SmackDown MSG show. Looks promising. And adds Rowan 316. All right. All right. Uh, please uh, write write some feedback in next week, Paul. I'd love to know uh, some live notes uh, you know, uh, about attendance or... Anything in particular. We got Alex from Portland who says, What a success tonight was. Eric Rowan feels like a potential main eventer. Elias Let's <laughs> cool the brakes a little. Elias had, in my opinion, his best TV match. Chad Gable wins a match where he's referred to as short, even though his opponent was one inch taller. If Aleister Black wants to fight him so badly or wants a fight so damn badly, why doesn't he just go after the 24 7 championship? Because he's intel- intelligent. He's got self respect. It's got tons of goons going after it. Goons that would be none more than willing to knock on a door for a shot. Okay. I'd actually love to see guys trying to get close to black, but he keeps, you know, a lot of people are suggesting like serious, like wrestlers get this 24 seven belt. Trust me. You don't want that. No, like, I don't think the feed with it is a good idea. I don't think, I don't think anybody destined for a mate. Like we saw like Kevin Owens didn't want that belt. I think anybody destined for a main event level spot should not be anywhere near it. It just I like, loved Kevin Owens actually going out of his way to give an explanation for that last week. Did you see this? Yes. Well, he's a he's an actual smart, smart guy. He's a father, and when he's out with his children, he doesn't want to worry about people jumping him. <laughs> it's great. Uh, okay. Uh, Alex asks, lastly, why, why is it that Chad Gable is the one getting pushed? Looking at the prior six months or so would make more sense for Ali to be in that role. Not complaining, just genuinely curious. It's... It's who they feel like pushing. I mean, there's not really a rhyme or reason. I, Ali seems to be on the on the kind of back burner now. I would say Ali, I think, is at, at this point at a certain level. And I would say that level is above Chad Gable. So, you know, Ali is at least right now established as kind of like, you know, one of your undersized underdogs. Whereas maybe Chad Gable has been overlooked for a little too long and they want to at least get him up to the Ali level first. If not, maybe even a little higher. They're keeping Ali uh, hot for that Nakamura program that they teased. You really think so? <laughs> the the program that went nowhere. Yeah. And instead, we're watching The Miz take on Nakamura at this pay-per-view. Well, Ali, who knows if he'll even be on the show. Well, I mean, not everybody can be on every single show, and that's not really a problem. But like, If The Miz was not on this pay-per-view, I'd be okay. I would I would make it through that pay-per-view and say, you know what? Maybe next yeah, month we'll get, but like we'll Miz, get Miz. On, has our, his own reality TV show. It's, it's over now. It ended last week. Oh, okay. Uh, he's has one more question. He says, with Survivor Series coming up and a more rigid brand split being rumored for SmackDown, do you think we'll get another Raw versus SmackDown themed show? I can't see how we don't. Yeah, I do. I do, especially if they get a, have a more, uh, you know, decisive brand split. But this year, do you see NXT being a part of it? No, I don't think they will. 
So you still see that distinction between the brands, like, or at least that that hierarchy of like Raw SmackDown, and then below both of them is NXT. I do because there is a reason. Like, you still want to have like your takeovers that weekend. Like, that's their big show, and right. I just don't see them uh, muddying the waters. And I don't think like that's something like it, like. Paul running this show, Paul Levesque running this show, I, like that gets really complicated because once you're integrating your talent then onto Raw and SmackDown, then you really are hands off at that point. Like you, you might have some say so, but you are not the the ultimate um, the the ultimate editor in that kind of scenario. It's a good point, um, but I I also feel like like for them it's a way to refresh Survivor Series to like give a bit more of a hook to it and also mm-hmm. I think just the the perception of like putting NXT up as an equal brand to Raw and SmackDown they might be enticed to at least think of some type of integration. I think it's actually very valuable now that you don't mix the rosters all that much with NXT and the main roster because I think it's imperative that NXT be established as something completely different mm-hmm. from the main roster and it doesn't have to be like one's good one's bad it's just it has different. to have a totally different feel to it mm-hmm. because if it doesn't, then you're really sending those viewers to something that is legitimately different in AEW. So yep. I think NXT, it needs to be as different as possible and not be mixing in with Raw and SmackDown. That's a very good point. You know, I think like to me, what's made NXT successful is the fact that it seems to skew towards an audience that I think is a, I don't know, feels a little bit older than maybe what you know WWE is aiming its 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 product towards maybe a little bit more risque a little bit more adult theme a, a little bit smarter dare i say it so um i i agree with you i think they should maintain that course and the last one here comes from Brandon from Oshawa don't have much to say other than great crowd tonight i thought this really made it a fun show we need more types of these crowds the the crowd in Norfolk was i thought really good tonight who just uh, genuinely seemed to want to have a good time and not take over the show all right. Well, if oh, the good if the show is good, I think you'll get that reaction. Yes. Not all fans are trying to uh destroy the industry. All right. That's going to wrap up the show everybody. So, thank you for tuning in. Uh there are a plethora, as they say, shows coming up. The Double Shot, The Cafe Hangout. Up next, Ask Away will drop on Friday for patrons. Saturday night, I'm going to do a UFC post show with Phil Chair Talk as we're going to chat the uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, Dustin Poirier fight. And then Sunday, WH Park is back. It is post-Puroresu. And we have tons to discuss. Uh, it's been a while since me and WH have done a show. That will return on Sunday night. Uh, tentatively, I'm praying uh, that we have this interview that goes down flawlessly on Thursday. And then that will be out at some point. But I don't want to say a damn thing until it's done. So um, if it does happen, I will thank Way. <laughs> if not, I'll take all the blame for it. Uh, but that's it. Uh, Way, do you have any um, advice? Um, in general? Uh, floss? <laughs>